Okay, thank you guys. That's a good, good song, and you did a good job there. All right, so let me get all this stuff out of my pocket here so I don't feel like I'm weighted down. But So we're taking our Bibles. I want to just talk to you about uh, what happens when God shows up in your life. So let's take our Bibles. We're going to look over at a place found over in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, or pardon me, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse number 3. And as we uh, give uh, reverence to the reading of God's Word, I would like for us to just stand, and as we open up our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, I have these printed on my my. The verse is printed on my notes, but for some reason I want to make sure that uh, I copied and pasted in the right place, because <laughs> every now and then that, that happens, and then people are looking at me like, where is he at? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels... Hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And did have set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the sufferings of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Amen. Heavenly Father, Bless our time together, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. 
And that is a very heartwarming, heart-convicting, and heart-challenging passage of Scripture. And for we who did not neglect this great salvation, but put our faith and our trust in the message of God's Word, believing uh, that Jesus Christ, who was higher than the angels because he is the creator of the angels, was willing uh, to make himself lower than the angels. In other words, it was the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that put himself in the, the womb of a young virgin. It was Jesus Christ that put the DNA, all the components that were necessary to bring about the perfect body for the perfect sacrifice. And so he made himself that sacrifice. And that he might live here upon this earth that he created for 33 and a half years. That he may put himself under the subjection of the hands of men that he had created to be horribly crucified on a cross that should have been our cross and to suffer a death that he had ordained and he through his own making put that whole episode together. The cross, the nails, the human hands, the hammer that drove the nails, the spikes into his hands. All of these things are of his making that we may be made something better than what we are. How great of a salvation is that? And for us to neglect that salvation. Why would we neglect such a great salvation? Why would he turn a deaf ear to what God has provided? Again, we read in verse number 3, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. We have the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us as it was written by those that heard what he said and then pinned it down. We have later the epistles that the Lord God has provided for us from those that spent time with him that heard what he had to say. And then we have one out of season by the name of the Apostle Paul that God spent some three and a half years in the backside of the Arabian desert and taught him. And God has given us these words. And when we put our faith in these words, then God through the sign of the Holy Spirit assures us that what we have believed by faith is real. For the Holy Spirit then comes and takes residence within our heart. And as we read that God then bears witness through the Holy Spirit that 
all that we have been told and all that we believe in, that these things are true, not just based on the witness of God's word, not just based on the witness of those that heard the word of God and pinned down the Bible and have spoken those words unto us, but now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives confirmation. The moment that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that inward witness. It takes place the very moment you are saved. The Holy Spirit at that moment as you begin from your heart to utter that prayer of salvation bears witness with your spirit at that point that you are now a child of God. If you have not experienced that, then you might want to rethink your faith and your salvation. I believe that salvation doesn't necessarily come in the same pattern with all, but we all have the witness of God's Spirit. Regardless what it was that brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless how we went about praying and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, the one thing that we should all have in common, the moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the witness. The witness is from God. God bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And with some, the Bible gave even a greater witness to the Holy Spirit by allowing them to do things that they would not ordinarily be able to do. To speak in a language that they had never spoken in before. A gift of laying hands on someone and and seeing great miracles. All of those gifts have ceased though because we have the greatest miracle and that is the word of God. That has been pinned together by the Holy Spirit that assures us that the Word of God is the living Word. The 66 books written by the 40 authors over the period of some 1,500 years is truly a magical book. And once we had the Bible in its full and complete canon, there was no more need of these sign gifts, but there was never, and it had not ceased, that we would not receive the witness of the Holy Spirit. From that time to this time, every one of us have that wonderful witness. God bearing them witness, not only with the signs and wonders and with diverse miracles, but bearing them witness through the gift of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. The Holy Spirit is there to confirm unto us our salvation. Jesus Christ has made it very clear that the moment we are saved, we are no longer our own. We are now bought with a price, and we have been set apart unto the Lord. We are now sanctified for the Father's use. Jesus Christ prayed for that sanctification. Jesus Christ died and was buried and has risen and has ascended into heaven for our sanctification. 
And with that sanctification, we now stand before God completely and fully redeemed. With that sanctification, we stand before God completely and totally justified with the ability to say to God that we are his children and for God to receive us because God no longer sees us as sinners. God sees us as though we are his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we stand before God just as though we had never sinned. That's the way God sees us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ begins to work within us. Uh, that wonderful program that uh, we understand through the word glorification. He wants to bring our life to a place to where it glorifies God. He wants our life uh, to be used in such a way to where others would glorify God. The glorification of our life eventually will come to the glorification of our body where we stand before the glorified Savior in glorified bodies and be rewarded for the glorified life that we lived here upon this old world. With that being said, I want to bring to you about four thoughts. When you are saved when you have experienced what only God can do through salvation. The moment you are saved, as we've already said, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. Immediately you have the assurance and the witness from the Holy Spirit that you are a child of God. You somehow acknowledge from your heart, you may not understand it, but you acknowledge from your heart that Jesus Christ has taken residence in your life and that you are going to spend eternity with him. You have that assurance. It's not a hope soul salvation. It becomes a no soul salvation. For some unknown reason, the moment you're saved, you know and you begin to rejoice about that. And God begins to do a work within your heart and your life. Sin is still present. The body that we live in is still a body that needs to be glorified. It needs to be saved. It needs to be redeemed. God has not saved your body. God has not glorified your body. Your body is still mortal. Your body is still corruptible. Your body is still filled with sin. But inside of your body is a soul. And the Holy Spirit of God has come into your body and has sealed your soul until the day of redemption. And at that day of redemption, then God will glorify your entire being. And you'll stand before God in a glorified body. But until that time, we have a problem. One of the greatest witnesses that assures us that we are saved outside of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, is how we begin to feel about our sins. The moment you are saved immediately, the devil comes along and he tries to beguile you and to tempt you in remaining in whatever sin you were living in. 
But according to the Word of God, as we saw this morning over in Colossians chapter 2, because of what Christ has done in you and because you are now dead to sin and buried with Christ and liking yourself to be risen with Christ, you have this desire to put sin out of the old flesh and to live a life that is pleasing unto God. And so you're going to be uncomfortable with sin. The witness of the Holy Spirit is going to bring a conviction in your heart and in your life that you'd not had before. As you take that cigarette out of the package and put it in your lips and you begin to suck uh, the smoke uh, through that tobacco into your lungs and blow out that smoke from that ignited cigarette, the Holy Spirit's going to begin to convict you that this is a nasty, dirty, rotten habit and it is not pleasing to the Lord and that you're a sucker for tobacco, uh, that you shouldn't be on fire unless you're on fire for the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> you're doing nothing but sucking that smoke into your lungs and damaging your lungs. And so you're a sucker for the tobacco industry. And, and it just simply hurts your testimony because you are hurting the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that now owns you. He owns your body. He's taken residence in your body. It is no longer your body. It's his body. You have been bought with a price. And he wants you to clean up your life. And so there is a conviction. You're no longer uncomfortable about that sin. And it is a sin when you pick up that alcoholic drink and you start sobbing down all that booze. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. No, you can't do that anymore. Your body belongs to me. You are a priest of God. I have separated you unto myself, and I have made you priests and kings for me. And according to my word, a priest is not to be defiled with intoxicating drink. As we read the Bible, we understand through the book of Leviticus that God did not want the priest coming into the temple of God with, with intoxicating drink in their bodies. Well, now you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you and God just simply doesn't want it there who have woe who have sorrow he that tarrieth long at the drink what drink the drink that turneth about itself in the cup the drink that is considered to be a drink that is intoxicating it's a drink that has fermented to the place to where there is leaven in the drink the leaven is alcohol the leaven is poison to the body it corrupts the mind. It causes you to do perverse things. And God begins to convict you of that. You're no longer comfortable sitting in a bar. You're no longer comfortable buying that booze. You're no longer comfortable smoking your cigarettes. You're no longer comfortable sitting in a theater house watching a movie where they blaspheme the name of God, looking at some 40-foot tall woman with no clothes on. You're you're. Spirit is now in tune with God's spirit and God's spirit saying, no, you shouldn't be here. And you're sitting there and you're uncomfortable with the whole scene and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And so many of these things come into our life the moment we are saved 
And the proof of our salvation is that we can no longer be comfortable in our sin. Now, if you're comfortable in your sin and you say that you're a Christian, there's something wrong there. It's kind of like an oxymoron because the two don't come together. God wants to bring you to a place of holiness and righteousness. He wants you to be set apart unto Him. He wants you to live a clean and pure life. And so the Holy Spirit will begin to convict you of these things. He will begin to reprove you of these things. As we read that passage of Scripture this morning, as our missionary was over there in Colossians chapter 1, he talked about the mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ unto the Gentiles. It was not a mystery that Gentiles would be saved in the Old Testament, but what was a mystery that Christ, the Messiah, would dwell within the hearts of Gentiles. And once he took residence in the hearts of Gentiles, he would give them knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And he would also convict them of their sins to bring them to a place of righteousness. If you are comfortable in your sin, then there's something wrong about your salvation. It could be that maybe when you were first saved you were uncomfortable, but you have sinned so long that you have quenched the Holy Spirit. But there has to be a time when you were saved where you were totally uncomfortable. And if you come to a place to where you have quenched the Holy Spirit, where He's no longer convicting you of those things, then there needs to be a grieving process that you went through to get to that quenching. To where you felt as though something inside of you was dying. You were pushing God to the point in your life to where you felt like you were pushing Him out of your life. You had grieved Him to the place to where you no longer sense His presence. You have grieved Him to the place to where you have quenched His presence. And that begins to trouble you. And you begin to wonder, well, wait a minute, am I truly saved? Why am I not feeling like I once felt? These are important things. When we are saved, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will the Holy Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and that our body is the temple of God, but uh, we will feel uncomfortable not being in fellowship with God's people and coming together in God's church to fellowship with God with God's people. Amen. We'll be uncomfortable about forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. Yeah. And so when you are first saved, usually what happens because the Holy Spirit is having full reign and control in your life, you have allowed Him to have His way in your life. Your life is now filled with the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is now leading and guiding you and prompting you in doing all things that are moral and all things that are holy and all things that are right, you will know that it's right to be in church. And so you'll show up Sunday morning, you'll show up Sunday night, you'll show up Wednesday night. But as you begin to quench the Holy Spirit, 
as you begin to drift away from the Lord, then you become more and more comfortable about not being in church on a Sunday night. And then as it continues on, uh, you'll not be in church on a Wednesday night. And before long, you won't be in church for the Sunday school hour. And the next thing you know, you're comfortable with being in church just on a Sunday morning one-hour service. And you'll be watching your watch, looking at the clock, looking at your cell phone, wondering, well, why is the preacher preaching more than 25 minutes? Or you'll be concerned that the service went 45 minutes before he got up there to preach and you're thinking, oh my goodness, and he'll probably preach another 45 minutes. That means I'm going to be stuck here in this place for an hour and a half. And you have no conviction about that kind of an attitude. Something has happened. If you're no longer uncomfortable for not being in church, and you're uncomfortable in being in church, then there's something wrong with your spirit. You're no longer walking in the spirit. You have somehow drifted away from God. And you will continue to drift farther and farther away. We can use all kinds of excuses. We can say it's the pandemic. We can say it's old age. We can say sciatica. We can say it's rheumatism. But you know, there are some people out there that are so filled with the Holy Spirit that at 80 and 90 years old with sciatica, with rheumatism, with heart disease and all kinds of issues, they're there every service. Are we okay, class? You see, when your heart is in tune with God and you have not neglected this great salvation you will then begin to understand, well, this salvation is not only great for me, it's great for others. And so you will then be uncomfortable about not witnessing to others. You'll be uncomfortable about staying home when others are going out on a soul-winning morning or a soul-winning night. You'll be uncomfortable about the fact that others are giving testimonies about those that they're telling and witnessing about Jesus Christ and those that they are reaching with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're sitting there thinking, how long has it been since I was able to reach someone with Christ? For Christ, how long has it been that I was able to encourage someone to come to church and and have a part in watching them go forward and get saved? My life is no longer productive People around me are lost and going to hell. And I'm no longer concerned about their souls. I'm comfortable with the way I'm living. Something's wrong. It begins to bother you. Because you see, we have a mandate from the Lord. We understand that our responsibility as Christians is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is always going to be to reach others with Christ. That's why we have church. That's why we disciple, so we can do what is called proliferate. We want to go out there and we want to reach others. We want to build the kingdom of God. Jesus said to occupy till I come. That doesn't mean to sit on the pew. That means to get out into a world and do our best to win a few. When we're no longer uncomfortable about not doing that, and we're comfortable about not reaching others, and we're 
we're not concerned and we're apathetic when souls are being saved. We're thinking, oh no, he's given the invitation. There goes someone. He's going forward. That's probably going to hold up uh, the conclusion of this service. He's probably going to keep the, the, the invitation going, hoping someone else will go. You know, and then they're going to have a baptismal service. When am I going to get out of here? You no longer have a concern and a joy for those that are being reached with the gospel. There's something about you have come to that place to where now you are neglecting this great salvation message. You are neglecting it. You're not allowing it to be used in reaching others. The power of the gospel is something that is no longer present in your life. Let me just say in conclusion, when you come to the place to where you're no longer concerned about how God feels about where you are. Wow. And many Christians get to that place, don't they? I, I, I don't care how God feels about it. It's my life, I just live it the way I want. And preacher, well, I'm not coming back because I don't like you stirring me up. Where I start feeling like I need to be back in church. Where I start thinking about well, how God feels about it. And I see people like that all the time. They got to the place to where they no longer care how God feels. And they're standing with the rest of the liberal people. It's more about how I feel. It's no longer about how God feels. And so that's where the church is headed for when the majority of the people find themselves going down that pathway I've just mentioned. God help us to get to that place to where every day the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ somehow penetrates our hearts and breaks our heart. When we read our Bible and we read the story over and over again of how much God loves us, how it penetrates and convicts and stirs our hearts, to think that Jesus Christ, the very creator of heaven and earth, was willing to come into this world and put himself on a cross and to die. To die for me. To suffer death for me. When that is no longer important to you. And you could care less how God feels about where you're at. You're in trouble. And that's why our nation is in such trouble because of the church house and its attitude. Heavenly Father, I pray that somehow we could get back to that place when we, as a church, come together. We don't want the service to end. We're disappointed when the preacher gets to that final message point. That our hearts are so filled with your presence and so filled with your love. And we ache and we thirst after your righteousness where it pains us to walk away 
from a place to where we feel that you are meeting with us. Heavenly Father, help us to somehow stir up our hearts to get back to that place where we want to be in church. We want to experience church. We want to see your power upon our services. We want very much for the preacher to have a special anointing. We want to see souls walking the aisle. We want to be at the altar and weep like we had at one time. We want our hearts to be stirred with joy and excited about the things that are pleasing to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir us in that direction. For we ask it in Jesus' name. All of God's people say it.